welcome to the podcast. So excited to finally have you on. It's been a few months coming here, but <laughs> excited to have you on the podcast. So happy to be here. Hi, Angela. Hey, hey. And I'm really excited to have this conversation. We were, we were just chatting a little bit before we pressed record uh, and really digging into the the concept of uh, the the beauty of gathering and what that means from an organizational perspective and how it can be used as a vehicle to drive organizational change and and transformation, which I think is really a hot topic that a lot of people are thinking about right now. How do we think about the human experience and what it actually takes to create change uh, and how we can use this really unique way of, and you're going to talk more about gathering and what that means, but Lindsay would love to hear a bit of an introduction from you. Who are you? What do you do? And um, what impact are you looking to make on the world? Oh, all good questions. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so my name is Lindsay Kaplan, and I run a consultancy called The Gathering Effect. And what I help people do is create or recreate great gatherings that not just help people uh, sort of be moved and be changed, but help the organization succeed and create a great employee experience. And the way that I do that is I leverage my background across three different disciplines who all sort of study and exceed at gathering. One is entertainment and the other is education and then now in business. And so um, it's a unique blend of disciplines, but I've learned over the past 20 or so years what they all have in common mm-hmm. and applied that to this tool that we we know and love so well inside of our companies. Wonderful. And what's what's the impact you're looking to make on the world? Is it is it gathering oh, right. people? What's what's kind of the meta vision? You know, I um, there's a quote by Ian Forrester that I that I love called "Only Connect." It's on the front page of of this book that I'm writing, and I think what I really aim to do is to help people connect more with each other and ultimately with themselves. I love that. I love that. And I would love to hear a little bit more about the entertainment side of your background, because I think it's such a, the blend you mentioned is a beautiful blend. Um, and, you know, it kind of, again, it gets to this idea of how people actually learn and, you know, media entertainment is such a part of our culture. Storytelling, it's such a part of our culture. So you actually are a screenwriter turned organizational psychologist. So tell us more about the yes. screenwriter part of your journey before you discovered organizational psychology. It's a very natural transition, right? Just Obviously. Sort of makes a lot of sense. Yeah. A, a, a long, long time ago, um, I wanted to uh, write for television. I studied that in college and moved to LA to try to be a TV writer. And I did that for a little while. And ultimately, I realized I wanted to develop people in real life not just characters on a page, but it's a lot of the same muscles of observing people using empathy and thinking about what do I write or create that um, gets people to go from A to B? Who do they have to meet? What experiences do they have to have? What are they motivated by? And how do I not leverage that, that uh, the words on the page should produce that? And uh, found my way sort of randomly into learning and development where, again, there was someone behind the scenes curating these leadership classes or these trainings and thought, ah, interesting, that's a great application. And then took that one step further to get my master's in organizational psychology and put all that together to help develop not just people, but companies as a whole. That's the very short 20-year journey. (laughs) (laughs) Just compact compact and like 
two, 20 seconds of, of narrative there. Um, well, yeah, I just think it's such a fascinating uh, transition. And actually, it, at the surface, it may seem um, different, but to your point, the building of the empathy, like understanding personas, understanding your audience, like all those things are really important with organizational development, change management, transformation. And so this concept of gathering, I would love to hear more about what you mean by it. I think we all kind of have a construct in our head of what that means, but what makes a good gathering? Yeah. So uh, first, what is a gathering? Uh, To me, it's the most common tool that we use inside our companies to spark movement or change. So gatherings are things like offsites, training classes, new hire orientations, conferences, uh, all hands, offsites. I lump them all into this word, but you know, you could call them company events as well. And my definition is how people bring people together to match a message with a moment to create an effect. So there's some piece of content I want to share with people in order to help them be moved or be changed or inform them or engage them. And uh, and your question, what makes a great gathering? Well, I've learned over the years that uh, it's not just the content. (laughs) It's the conditions that we create inside Mm. that room, whether it's virtual or in person. And what I help companies do is script or re-script their gathering for, for more impact. Um, and it starts with, I think, changing our perception about what a quote-unquote good gathering is and um, learning how to do it a little bit more effectively. Yeah, and I think um, to your point, there is a, and this is where the entertainment piece comes in, there is a connection with like, what kind of media are you going to use? You know, how do you, the effect I think is a key piece of this. Like where, how do you want people feeling when they leave? What do you want them doing differently when they leave? Yeah. It's like when I used to write screenplays, you start with the end. Mm. So what, where does that character end up at the end? Um, What happens to them? What's the journey? And then how do I create that experience or that script in order for that to take place? So, So very similarly with these gatherings, two things I always suggest. Yes, let's start with the end in mind. So how will we know that we've succeeded? What do you want people to know or do or feel? Can you tell me a story about how you would know that this gathering was successful? What would people be doing differently? The more concrete, the better. But secondarily, it's about starting with the effect that we want. So oftentimes we start with a slide deck or the cool guest speaker or the food we're going to order. Oh, cool things, but let's start a bit more strategically with the change that we're hoping to make. Mm-hmm. And it tends to fall into one of four categories, which I'll just briefly, briefly describe. Yes. Mm-hmm. One one is compliance, um, which, you know, let's just be honest. Sometimes we do these gatherings to get people to take an action. Two is to inform, so to share information. The third is to entertain. And the fourth is to engage, to get buy-in, behavior change, ownership, um, transformation inside of our company. So once we're clear on the effect that not just we want, but need, um, then everything else becomes a little bit clearer, not just for us, but for the employees or the people who are a part of it. Wonderful. Yeah, it's, um, it's a really great distinction. And I think, to your point, gatherings, like this long list of things that could be a gathering, each one has its own purpose. And every gathering doesn't require the guest speaker, the food, the in person, you know, in person is wonderful, but I think something else that we're trying to weigh out as 
organizational leaders is in this hybrid work environment. How do we be really intentional about the experience? So what are your thoughts on, like, what are some of the conversations you're having with these teams when it comes to hybrid gatherings and, you know, when to use hybrid versus remote in person? What are some things that are popping up as themes? Yeah. So I'll break it down into a motto that I follow and and hope people follow as well. And it's uh, pull together, push apart. So how do I know if I should bring people together? So um, when we need to pull people together is when our gathering or our change effort requires engagement or perhaps to entertain, you know, comedian needs an audience, right? So there's a reason to bring people together. When what we would desire is to inform or to get compliance, we can do that apart, push apart. So a practical example is, you know, a new hire orientation. I think gone are the days where people sit in a room for a week and they have presenter after presenter and it's all synchronous. That just doesn't happen because of the pandemic or scale, whatever it might be. And so if we follow this model, um, what is worth bringing people together for? It's the chance to talk about what they've learned asynchronously, to connect, to meet new people, to focus on the culture piece. It's not to hear uh, necessarily uh, a speech from finance about how to fill out their payroll forms. Mm. So once we get clear on what, what are we doing together, why do we need to be together synchronously, I think it can make all of our gatherings not just more efficient, but more effective. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a great point. And it does take a little bit of, you know, intentionality and, and curation to really carve out those containers of this is compliance, this is us coming together. And I would love to hear your perspective on, um, I guess, the, the I'll call it the secondary impacts of gathering. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, when I, when I think about working with an executive team, if we're putting together, you know, it depends on the end, right? Like, do we want to create um, camaraderie? <laughs> That's another question. Do we want to bring together cross-functional or, um, you know, there's a lot of globalization happening, right? So getting people in a room, like we have to be really intentional about creating space. And so how much is of your methodology is around like the structure versus the organic, what I'll call like secondary benefits of gathering? Hmm. So many thoughts there. <laughs> um, so first, let me provide an observation, which is, I think post-pandemic, or post, I guess, perhaps post, we have a desire to come together. And a lot of companies, I think, are hungry for that. And that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. At the same time, the bar is higher now, especially if we're flying somewhere or putting on pants, right? Yes. Um, and so what I'm seeing is either these gatherings are the kitchen sink. So we want to do everything. We want to have camaraderie. Mm-hmm. We want to speak about company goals. We want to do everything at once. Um or it's, or it's for connection and just to bond and get together. Mm-hmm. And so what what is, again, what are we hoping to achieve and what can we reasonably achieve in this time frame? I think it's just, again, really important to think about what's necessary now. Um, but your question around the secondary effects, um, hopefully this answers your question. But what I, what I look for in a gathering, what I help people look for and help people adjust is really three things. One is the structure. So how do we manage expectations? How do we get people from A to B? One way to do that is the agenda, right? So how are we communicating what we're going to do and how we lead people there? Mm. 
most most gatherings don't have an agenda slide. So let's let's create one. That's just one one quick tip, right? Yes. Um, the second is space. So not really the physical space, although that is important, but much more about how we help people absorb or retain information. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my learning and development background uh, comes into play here. So if we're pumping the gathering full of content, uh, a don't do that. <laughs> but if we are, how do we how do we more intentionally create the space for people to absorb it and retain it and take it take it up as their own? And then the last piece is framing. So again, my screenwriter background, the language that we use, how do we communicate in a way that gets buy-in and pulls people in versus pushes them away? Mm. So those are the components that I look for, and um, it, and I think that they all impact the secondary effects um, and ideally help people much be much more intentional about the choices that they're making. Yeah. And I think just it, it, it inserts kind of a, a human centered design element, which is we need time to process. We need the space to get to know each other and to, um, uh, you know, uh, consider other ideas too, you know, that go, gets into kind of the, you know, even a DE&I conversation about how do we create space where differences and ideas and listening can happen, you know, across the, mm. the gathering. Yeah, it's, um, it's not content that changes us. Mm-hmm. It's our connection to the content. That's what fuels transformation and change is when we feel connected to the content that's presented. So we have to work to make that happen. And it comes from giving people time and space to talk to each other. It comes from carefully planted prompts and questions. Um, mm-hmm. It comes from a, you know, a, a sense of safety in the room to ask those questions and answer them. It's, it's a, a bit more nuanced than we perhaps think, but you know, that's, that's where I come in and, and where I, where I get to support. And how, um, how large or small are the gatherings that you're working with? Is it, is it team meetings and town halls or is it, you know, what's the span of a gathering from your perspective? Yeah. It's, it's everything from, you know, a small team offsite of 10 people to a 10,000 person town hall. Um, and I like to say that my work is content agnostic and channel agnostic. So mm. it can be virtual. It could be hybrid. It could be in person. Uh, it could be an offsite training. It's the same concepts that apply to different uh, different mediums and messages as well. And and hopefully once we learn these techniques, um, it, it gives us a framework to apply to all of these gatherings versus relearning it each time. Um, and, and again, I, I hope that that provides value for people to have the common language. What are some of the, I guess, some of the hangups that people have when, when, you know, when they're coming to you and what are some of the things that you see as, you know, for those who, who are listening, who, who might want to kind of adopt some of your, your thinking and, and making their, their gatherings more engaging, inspiring and action packed, you know, action filled, like, you know, you're giving something for people to, to actually take action on. What are some hangups? What are some barriers to that that you often hmm. see? Yeah, I think one barrier that's a little bit of recency bias here um, is just, you know, who gets to present, who gets to talk, mm-hmm. what content to include. And I'll, you know, I'll give you a practical example. Um, 
I was working with a company on redoing their company all hands that they had about once a month. And as, as is typical, the bigger a company gets, the more people want to present and talk. Mm-hmm. And it also becomes um, a bit of a, a land grab for, you know, who, who gets that airtime and, and who do I say no to? And from a, a, an admin side, it actually becomes really hard to know what mm-hmm. to do. And so um, without clarity on the effect or the goal of that all hands, it, it's hard to know who to say no to. So that's number one, clarifying what's the objective. For them, it was about creating alignment in the organization. Um, we created a strategic filtering sort of Venn diagram mm. of the three pieces of the litmus test that have to apply for them to say yes to the, that person. So one is it applies to every single person in the company. Mm. Two is it requires action. And three, they want to engage and not just inform. So back to the pull together, push apart. And so what that does is it eliminates um, a lot of announcements. Um, It eliminates some department updates. And it really gives the company time to be intentional about who gets a say. And then what goes in different communication channels. So um, that's one hang up is just who gets to present and what do we include and what do we say no to. Um, and then another hang up is, you know, uh, nobody asks questions or no one seems to engage in the gathering. Mm. And um, oftentimes that's because we haven't um, invited anyone to participate or shown people why we need them there. So what I tend to do, and this is just the, the TLDR to your question, mm-hmm. is oftentimes the gatherings that I see are very push mm. and very one size fits all. They're very... Um, passive and uh and made for anyone and what i help people do is make them more pull and personalized i help the gatherings be done with people and mm-hmm. about the people in the room and and if people can make that shift then um then that's that's what we're really usually after yeah and i, I often see you know uh, oftentimes the presenters end up being like the executive team, right? And it's the same people and it's the people yeah. at the top presenting. And so I think another way, you know, I love your Venn di- diagram kind of criteria. And I think a part of that is also getting other voices to uh, people who are actually doing the work, right? <laughs> because I think when people see, you know, someone at their, you know, in, on their team or within the same type of role, it becomes more real, and that person can even close that gap and create that bridge between that content too. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying. And the reason why that's so important, or one reason why it's so important is that, especially now that we're, a lot of us are virtual or remote, mm-hmm. to me, these gatherings are culture on display. Yes. They are much more of a signal of what we care about than maybe we used to have when we were in person and there were so many other signals. So um, that weekly town hall is the chance for people to know what's important at your company and and, the, and and a chance to boost morale and motivation in ways that maybe we don't realize. So again, another reason to be intentional about what we're doing. Love that. Love that. Well, Lindsay, uh, tell us more about your book. Uh, in, you know, the, you know, obviously we've talked about a few key concepts here, but, um, tell us more, what is it called? You know, tell us all the details and then we'll kind of wrap up with just where to find you. Um, but tell us about the book first. Yeah, this is a, a forthcoming book. So, uh, it's called the gathering effect, uh, shocker. 
Um, and yeah, it's a much deeper dive into the application of entertainment, education, and business to to make our gatherings and our change stick inside companies. And, you know, it's probably got at this point a hundred different tactics and ideas and lessons from these disciplines that I've collected over the years. And I feel like every every time I go to a comedy show, I get another idea or watch this lecture. It's it's so fun to see the world through this this lens and then help people apply it. Um, and in the meantime, people can find a, a lot of that content and ideas on my website, which is gatheringeffect.com. And, um, and yeah, that's where you can find me. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, we'll make sure to um, include the forthcoming book uh, in the name <laughs> of it so people can keep their eyes and ears open for your launch. Uh, and then when you launch it, we'd love to um, – you know, relaunch this podcast episode at that point to um, get people to uh, read the book, which sounds like a, a very important and value-filled read. Uh, and then we'll make sure to include your website and, and all that jazz in the show notes so people can reach you if they need help with their gatherings. That would be great. And I'll just say one quick thing that I'm working on and about to announce is this gathering or company event cost calculator. So oftentimes it can be hard to quantify um, not just the ROI of the events, but uh, the importance of doing them well. And mm -hmm. so this calculator I'm about to launch helps people really visualize and make concrete the investment. And a shock statistic I found is that a weekly town hall for 4,000 people costs about $17 million a year. So mm -hmm. if that's not a reason to do this well and intentionally, um, then... Uh, then I don't know. I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I love that. And that's such an important point because, you know, there have been times where I've been in a meeting or a gathering, looked around the room and being, you know, my past life, I was a head of HR. So I knew everyone's salaries, right? And I'm mm. just going around the room calculating the amount that this meeting is costing us, like the minutes, the hours. And it is jarring how much we spend on waste and uh and without being intentional you are wasting time you are wasting energy and you know where people's energy can be going to create even more impact for the company so when that comes out let us know if it's if it's out before we launch this episode we will include it in the show notes but that it was such a value add to folks so we'll be sure to to market that too uh, i'm glad you think so <laughs> that's great <laughs> wonderful well, Lindsay. it was so fabulous talking to you. I could do it all day. Um, but thank you for sharing your, your time, your insights, and thanks for all the work you're doing in this space. Oh, thanks so much, Angela. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm.